Please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet, that you may rise up early and go on your way. They said to him, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. Well, we start off by seeing some good similarities between Lot and Abraham. These men show up to the city of Sodom and what does Lot do for them? He throws them a feast. He's hospitable. He meets these strange men. He bows himself to the earth the same way that Abraham did. He refers to them as my lords, exact same way Abraham did. You know, Lot has been taught well. He offers to wash their feet all the same as Abraham. He throws them a lavish feast. Good stuff. But what is fascinating here is it says that Lot was sitting in the gate of the city. Now, we might read that. We might think, what on earth is he doing? Is that kind of like, you know, immediately I start thinking of more rats hanging outside of more, a bunch of teenagers. No, he's, to sit in the city gate in this culture means you're a city official, means that you are part of the governing authority of a city. Lot has risen through the ranks and he's now some sort of high up, high end official within the city. He's an important guy. He's well known in the city of Sodom. He had some sort of significant power in the city and he sees these strangers walking to the city and he knows he has got to protect these people. Remember, these angels at this point look like men. No one knew that they were angels. And Lot knew something bad would happen to them if they stayed out in the town square. And these men are like, no, 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 it's all right. We'll stay in the town square. It's okay. Normally when you're traveling, it's a lot safer. If you're going to camp somewhere, you camp in the middle of a city. Because what's going to happen to you in the middle of a city? No, nothing. Hopefully, the plan is when you camp in the town square, you're safe. Out in the wilderness, if you're camping, there are wild animals out there. At this time, lions, bears, uh, wolves were roaming the, the region of Palestine. There were bandits and robbers and raiders who could fall upon you. So, you know, it was normal to go and camp in the town square. But Lot's like, no, 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 no. You're in more danger in the town square than you are out there in the wilderness. He urges them, come into my house. He creates a big feast. All is going well. However, news begins to spread. A couple of strange men have shown up in this town. We don't know exactly what they were saying, but it filled the men of the city with lust. And here is where the story turns horrible. Here is where you're going to start to get horrible feelings in your stomach. It's like a car crash so horrible you don't want to see it and yet you can't look away. The Bible is a very realistic book. It doesn't sugarcoat anything. It's not the prim, proper, nice kind of church lady book that maybe some of you guys feel like it is. It's not. It presents the facts as they occurred and often with very little social commentary. It's up to you to make the judgments. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. 
And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. And we get this vivid image, this vivid picture of what this city was like. And to uh, put it in no uncertain terms, it was a degenerate cesspit down to every last single one of them. They were willing to gang rape these men, these strangers that have shown up to their doors. The sexual perversity of this city is remarkable. And we know that these were not the first men to receive such treatment at the hands of the Sodomites. Last week, we had seen that the outcry had reached God, that God had heard about what was occurring in Sodom, the horrible things that were happening to the people there, the, the, the weak being oppressed. And we see this brutal sexual behavior had gone unchecked for a long time. And now God has sent his messages to the city. And what do they see? But they fall, fall under this same sort of attack. And this isn't only just an attack on God's design for sexuality, but it's an attack on the weak and powerless. Those who were victims to this kind of perversity of this mob behavior. Other passages of the Bible paint a vivid picture of this city for us. Ezekiel 16, 49. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. There was a lot going wrong with this city. They were prideful, arrogant, decadent. They had excess of food but did not aid or feed the starving. They had prosperity and did not provide for the poor. The hospitality that they showed to these angels could not be any more horrifying. If you feel horrified by this passage, it gets worse, doesn't it? Lot is faced with a dilemma. He knew something like this would happen. That's why he got these men into his household. He thought they'd be safe underneath his household. He's a ruling official. He's an important guy in Sodom, but they were not safe. It was too late now. The word has gotten around and everyone knew who these men were and Lot asked them to act so, not act so wickedly and in doing so, he has offended them greatly by even calling what is occurring outside, which to any thinking rational individual is wickedness beyond measure, they are outraged that he would dare say that to them. And they're even more outraged because he does something utterly amazing. He offers his two virgin daughters in their place. I mean, what on earth is Lot thinking? What kind of father would do that? I mean, I can't tell you what this man was thinking or what he was hoping to achieve. And frankly, I don't really want to. He deserves every bit of disgust we feel towards him. And while Lot wasn't going to protect his own daughters, we know that God was going to protect his daughters. And God did protect Lot's daughters, even though his father recklessly and foolishly offered them up. And the men push against the door, and they're outraged that Lot would dare judge them, that he'd dare call their behavior into question. How dare he say that they were acting wicked? And, and they promised to do to Lot what they were going to do to this man. It's going to be worse for him now. This high-end official, Lot, he obviously wasn't as respected as I imagine he thought he was. And this just highlights that when God gives people over to their desires, 
They're going to react with rage and hostility if even a whisper of judgment passes by them. If even the faintest hint that you trying to insinuate that something they're doing is wrong, if they've been given over to this kind of sin, then they will react with rage. How dare Lot judge them? And the angels have heard enough. The angels so far have let Lot deal with this situation, but no more. Seems to be getting worse and worse and worse the more Lot seems to be doing stuff. And so they drag Lot into the house. They strike these men with blindness. And in the chaos and confusion that happens there, they're able to flee. They're able to get away. And this is where we get to our second point. Flee the city. Flee the city. Verse 12. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people have, has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of this city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. And you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not just overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. Now, there's a lot to unpack in that, but I want to focus on verse 16. But he lingered. That phrase, but he lingered. Lot does not seem to recognize the seriousness of the situation before him. I don't know what, if he's in shock by what just kind of occurred. I mean, the angels are warning him. They're trying to impress upon him the seriousness of this situation, but Lot isn't taking it seriously enough. Like, what on earth are you doing, man? Get out of the city. Why are you lingering? Why are you staying there? And he finds his son-in-law, sons-in-law, and he tells them, guys, the city's about to be destroyed. We've got to get out of here. And they think he's just joking. I mean, what is he saying to them? What is he doing? No one seems to respect Lot. No one seems to take him seriously. It seems that he doesn't take himself seriously. The man of Sodom, even though Lot's an official, they don't care about him or respect him. His sons-in-law don't listen to him. And when the angels try to hurry him out, the text says he lingers. What are you doing, man? The moment anything like that happened outside of my house, I'd be like, yep, I'm out. I'm never coming back. I'd be out there in a flash, but yet Lot lingers. He's making bad decision after bad decision. And the angels tell him, run to the hills. And you're thinking, finally, Lot's going to do something that they tell him after they grab him by the hand and bring him out. And the text is careful to tell us this was the Lord's mercy to him. The Lord didn't need to bring him out in such a forceful way. He could have left him there to be swept away, but God is merciful to him. And yet... Lot does something dumb again. He tries to convince them to let him run to a little town instead. He's too metropolitan now. 
He thinks he's going to die in the hills or that some disaster is going to fall on him. He wants the apparent safety of a city. And he says, let me go to Zoar. And the angel reluctantly lets him. I mean, why is Lot like this? He loved the city of Sodom. That's why he's like this. He didn't love what was going on in the city. I'm not saying that he loved the bad stuff happening in that city, but he loved the prosperity. He loved the easy life. He loved the position and the authority. His whole family loved the place, loved it. His daughters grew up here. And we're going to see later that they're more discipled by the city than they are by their father. And even though horrible things are happening around him, he's willing to keep his head down. He's even willing to marry his daughters off to a couple of sodomites. This family didn't view the city the way God did. They were willing to make excuses for it. They were willing to love it more than they ought. And we notice that Abraham had the complete different attitude in Genesis 14, didn't he? He wanted nothing to do with the city of Sodom. He wanted none of their possessions after he freed them. Abraham viewed the city correctly. Where Lot needed to flee and he lingers. And we think Lot is an idiot. And rightly so. But are we really any different in the Western church? I'm not saying that for shock value. But don't we love the prosperity and ease of our life? Don't we keep our voices down and keep our heads down, seek after positions of authority to make things better? We don't speak up. We allow more and more of our community, more and more of our culture and our sovereignty, and we give it all up to the encroaching power of the world. We let people wander and go astray. And if we keep running the same play that Lot is running in Sodom, why are we surprised that we get the same results as him? The church is called to the same thing as Lot, Flee the city. It's this concept that shows up again and again and again. In Revelation 18.4, right at the end of the Bible, we see something similar when God tells his people, come out of that city, Babylon. Come out of it, my people. He says, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. It's this concept that you've got to withdraw. You've got to pull yourself out. Not in the sense that you form a, like a little monos- monastery and we all become monks and form a little convent or something like that. That's not what was going on here. Abraham had huge interactions with the world, but he had a strong household. He had a strong community. And we need to take a a kind of a note, a leaflet out of Abraham's play. And we need to be focusing on the strength of our community. And we can't be letting the world dictate what happens, but we let God's word dictate what happens. And that is what Abraham has done with the city of Sodom. He knows what the city of Sodom is, And he steers clear of it. And Lot runs a different play. Perhaps Lot thought he could reform the city. Maybe Lot thought he could change the place. But in the end, it changed him and his family. And this story is a metaphor for the way that God will eventually judge the entire world. Jude 1.7 says this. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Sodom and Gomorrah were going to serve as this picture of God's ultimate final judgment on the world at the end of time 
This is going to bring me to my third point, which is that God's, God, uh, God's judgment and salvation is what we're going to be looking at. Really listen to the language of this passage. Verse 23. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which, the Lord, in which Lot had lived. These are powerful words. You can imagine it clearly. The Lord raining down sulfur and fire and utterly devastating these cities. The intention was to destroy all the cities of the plain, all the cities of that valley. But Lot changed that. Zohar was going to survive now because of Lot's intervention. You can visit the ruins of Sodom today in an excavation site called Tol El Hamim. And in that site, we see that buildings were blown off their foundations. They found metal shards of pottery, zircon crystals and desert glass, which would have reached temperatures of over 6,000 degrees Celsius. For reference, that's hotter than the surface of the sun. Whatever befell this area was in magnitude enormous. And this was an epic judgment of God. And it stands as a testimony for all time. These cities were never lived in again. Their memory was wiped off the face of the planet. And the only thing we know about those cities is the ruins and what we read here in this word. This is their famous last actions. This is the legacy of that city. This is what they're remembered for. And in the midst of all of this, Lot's wife looks back. She looks back and she becomes a pillar of salt. Now the angels had warned them severely, telling them, don't look back. Whatever you do, don't stop. Don't look back. And yet Lot's wife looks back. And this wasn't just a simple glance at the carnage going on behind her. It wasn't like she just turned around to see what was going on behind her. It wasn't like the angels were trying to get them to do that really cool thing that guys in movies do when explosions happen behind them and they just walk away from it. That's not what the angels were telling them. She, this idea in the Hebrew is that she longingly looks back and her heart is broken over the city that she loves. The family loved the city. They couldn't bear to see it go up in smoke. And she's judged and she turns into a pillar of salt to be blown away with the wind. And we see our boy Abraham, he gets up that morning and he looks to see what happens to this city. And there he sees smoke rising like out of a furnace, this huge plume of smoke rising up to the clouds. And it would have been this an amazing sight to behold. And he was there on the hills looking down at the city, perhaps the same spot that the angels had warned Lot to escape to. Perhaps this would have been the moment that Lot and Abraham would have been reunited and Abraham would have known that Lot was rescued. But as it is, Abraham would have had no way of knowing whether Lot lived or died. 
and the text never indicates that he ever gets that knowledge. God had rescued Lot, but he rescued Lot for Abraham's sake, not for Lot's sake. Perhaps if Lot had followed the directions of the angels, he would have been reunited with Abraham. Perhaps he would have been able to find some husbands for his daughters. But Lot never returned to his people. He never sought husbands for his daughters. He never tried to regain his identity. Why? Perhaps he felt like a failure. Perhaps he felt too much shame to return to Abraham. But ultimately, we don't know why they never reunited. It's a sad tale we see today. And here we find the tale of two patriarchs. Two fathers of great households that survive until this day. Before we start to judge Lot, we must come to realize how much we are like him. Because Lot, despite all this foolishness, is still a believer in God. No one else in his family is. But he maintains his identity as a believer in God. And if you find that hard to imagine, well, we're going to have to have a listen to Peter in 2 Peter 2, 6-10. Because Peter references this. He says, If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to, condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the central conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was, tormenting, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. In this passage, Peter calls Lot righteous three times. He calls him righteous Lot, a righteous man, possessing a righteous soul. And you might be thinking, Peter, did you just read the passage that we just read? And Peter did. Peter knows what he's talking about. He recognizes Lot for what he was, a follower of God. He recognizes Lot as a descendant, of, uh, as, as a family member of Abraham. And we know that in the New Testament, the word that they always use for the Old Testament believers is righteous. That's the word that they choose. That's the word that they have. Lot hated what was going on in the city. That's clear from this passage. He hated it. He didn't like it. He didn't make friends with it. He just didn't say anything. He didn't really speak up. He was tormented with the sexual depravity he saw. He was greatly distressed by it. This is what Peter tells us. This isn't contradicting what Genesis is trying to tell us. Peter is relating this passage to the experience of the early church. It's a promise that if even God can save the most wayward and foolish of his followers, well then praise God because that means he can save you. Lot stands as this interesting twofold example to us. An example of what you should not be, but an example of God's grace. On the one hand, he's an absolute fool who we should learn valuable lessons from. We should not emulate the strategy or behavior of Lot. And on the other hand, he's still underneath the care and protection of God, despite his foolishness. And we should have encouraged that God will take care of his own, even the most foolish of us. And so if you feel like you're not as much of a fool as Lot, well, congratulations, you're in good company. 
This is a tale of two patriarchs, a tale of two strategies for life. One pitched their tent in Sodom and the other pinched their tent in the promises of God. One isolated himself from the people of God, the other maintained the virtue and sovereignty of their household. This is a passage is ultimately a cry to the church to flee the city. Come out of Sodom. Rest in the people of God, the church. This isn't a sermon about the city being bad and the country being good, but the Bible presents the city as a place where there's a concentration of human beings. And where there's a concentration of human beings, there's often a concentration of sin. Newtown is very different to Brankston. There's a reason for that. Us being dispersed and out here seems to have, a, seems to have an effect. And we know the New Testament considers the church to be the people of faith. The New Testament considers the church to be the true sons and daughters of Abraham. And so what is going on in this passage? Well, really, only being underneath the care and provision of God's people do we grow into maturity. When God calls you to flee the city, he calls you to flee to the hills. He calls you to be united with the church. He calls you to go back to his people. He calls you to come into the covenant community of him. So when God calls you out of Sodom, run for the hills. Meet Abraham again. Have the faith that he had. And the church are indeed the people who are shielded in Christ, who will never bear the punishment of eternal destruction like Sodom. They are ransomed and redeemed by the blood of a Savior. The judgment of God will pass over them. The fascinating thing is Lot becomes a picture of salvation. A flawed picture of salvation for sure, but aren't we all? Aren't we all just as flawed as Lot? Don't we all make similar decisions? Just like Lot, we are rescued by the skin of our teeth. So this is my challenge. Do you love the world in its ways? Do you have more of a, you identify a little bit more with Lot than you do with Abraham? Do you find that your strategy in life is a little bit more like Lot than it is like Abraham? Do you love the prosperity and ease of this society? Do you make excuses and stay silent? Are you willing to work hard and join with Jesus in building his kingdom here on earth? Is your prayer what Jesus taught you to pray? That Lord, make your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We want his will done here on earth. And only in the household of faith are we going to be delivered from the final judgment when God wraps up human history and we see the new heavens and the new earth coming. We need to be found in Abraham. And what I mean by that is we need to have the same faith as Abraham. And we need to be running the same strategy as Abraham. And we need to be protecting our community like Abraham did. Now, Abraham was not perfect. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. There were all sorts of dodginess. We've already seen it. But we saw one household moving towards God and one household moving away from God. Are you in a household that is moving towards God or away from God? That is really what the question is. So remember Christ. Remember his sacrifice and have faith in him. And that is how you find entrance into this kingdom. Let's pray. 
Father, as we reflect on these hard words, on a story that is horrifying and horrible to ponder, and we see your wrath and fury poured out on a very wicked town. Sometimes, Lord, we look around and we see that there are many things that, goes on, that go on in our society that would warrant similar action from you, Lord. And often we make terms with this culture and we grow to love it and we make excuses for it and we love the prosperity and ease and comfort. But Lord, bring your church out. Lord, bring your church out and make your church holy and blameless and without blemish. Lord, would you rescue people from the fire? Would you snatch them by the skin of their teeth? Would they know the truth of your word and the truth of your son, Jesus? And Lord, would they find themselves in him, covered by his perfect uh, sacrifice, covered in his blood so that they will not face that judgment, but will go free and cleansed and righteous? Lord, I pray for my friends that are considering faith and thinking about faith and don't know where they sit with you. Lord, I pray that you will guide them to truth by your spirit. Would you show them the lies that they see in this culture and the society around us? And would we all grow to love you, Lord, and come underneath your protection and your household and your church? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.